So this man is a good friend of mine, a good friend to our church. No, you can't come up yet. No, I'm talking about yeah. Come on, come on, Masala. Go ahead, Father. I thank you for Masala, Makosi. Thank you, Leandra. I thank you, Lord God, for the blessing, for the blessing that this man is to us as a friend. Uh, Lord, I thank you that uh, aside from the gift you've given him, Lord, we thank you for who he is. And Lord, I pray that as he opens up your word and uh, in a sense commissions us out of this time together, Lord God, speak to us, Jesus. Uh, drop your word deep into our hearts, Lord. And, uh, and we trust you, Father, that your word will not return void, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Jumbo Africa. Um, I'll try a few languages that I saw outside. Salama. Is that? Um, um, I'm thinking. Karibu, that's welcome, is it not? Swahili. And um, I've forgotten all the other ones I had practiced. So. so welcome and thank you for being here. Uh, we are not really going to look at the book of Hebrews, but rather I'm going to encourage us to look at the book of Isaiah chapter 6. And if you ask me why Isaiah chapter 6, I think my justification for that text will be the very last verse in Hebrews chapter 12. It talks about Jesus being at the right hand of the throne of God. There's something about those words that as I arrived on the very first day of us being here, it was as if those words just jumped at me and I was sensing something of the throne and the majesty of God. And I was also thinking, I think Ryan said the other day that we need to meditate about some sort of the attribute of, the, of God, maybe the communicable or even the incommunicable properties of God uh, to think about, such as, for example, the love of God, or the courage of God, the kindness of God. And as we think about these things, it becomes a means of grace to us. God massages these things inside of our hearts as we magnify, as we look at these aspects. But the one aspect of the attribute of God that I would like for us to be meditating about this, this afternoon is the holiness of God just to look at the holiness of God. I think Rory mentioned that it's very important for us to, to focus on God and to see Him aright. And when we see God right as He is, then we will begin to know something about our own true natures and we'll be able to function in a way that brings glory to God. Just to tell you where we are going, we're going to look at the holiness of God and try to define that. Number two, we're going to look at the glory of God and look at the relationship between the holiness and the glory of God. And then lastly, we will land by looking at a fitting response to both the holiness and the glory of God. And so will you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. It reads as follows. 
In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, Go and say to these people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of these people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until the cities lie waste without inhabitants and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remains in it, it will be burnt again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. May God bless the hearing of his word. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you and we pray that you would help us to see you aright so that we may see ourselves right and so that our response before you would be a fitting response to the Lord of hosts. Amen. And amen. Just for the sake of context, we find many, many themes in this book of Isaiah. One of those themes is the theme of kingship, the, king of, the, the theme of glory. If you look at the book ends, you'll find at the end it's talking about the glory of God. We see the theme of cities, and we even see the, the theme of judgment of God and election. And, but what is also strange about this book is that Isaiah 
tells us that he was commissioned in the year that King Uzziah died. Typically, prophets don't do that. They would normally talk about the reign of a particular king, that this particular prophet arose and he started his ministry and was commissioned. I would have expected it to say, on the 52nd year of the reign of King Uzziah, Isaiah was commissioned in his prophetic role. But he focuses rather on the death of King Uzziah. And there is a particular reason for that. I think Uzziah, and in his death, he was symbolic of the beginning of the end of the Davidic line of kingship in Judah. Remember that Israel and Judah was divided. The north was, was ruled by guys who were not descended from David, from Jeroboam to Hoshea. And the guys in the south, it started really with King David who moved to Jerusalem and right through. And God had given promises about how he's going to bring the Messiah through the Davidic kingship. And in a sense, in the time of Uzziah, God had had enough, not only with Israel, but also with Judah in the south. And God was raising his hands and beginning to say, woe to you guys, I have had enough of you. He describes them as a grapevine that had become terrible and was yielding bitter fruit. And he speaks of the city that was meant to be an international city where all the nations would come to worship. And he says, it has become a place of whoredom, God says. And God asks rhetorically, he says, what more could I have done for this city? What more could I have done for Judah? What more could I have done? I have taken care, but they have produced thorns and thistles and bitter wine instead of what it is that I planted. And in a sense, Uzziah was symptomatic of what was going on in the nation of Israel, but also uh, as a way of showing the grace and the mercy of God, Isaiah was also a symbol of what God actually wanted to do with the people of Israel. And if you're like me, you look at this text like that, and you ask yourself, why does this guy speak like this? Why is this guy starting his ministry on the death of Uzziah? What was Uzziah like? And when you look at Uzziah, you find that he was actually a great guy. He started off to reign, I think he was 16 years old. And because he was inexperienced, he was given a priest who instructed him on the ways of God. And he started to rule well. And because God blessed him, he grew strong. And the Bible tells us that when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. And in one of those proud moments, he went into the temple decided to take the role that was given to the priests and decided to offer sacrifices in the, in the temple of God. And the priest, Azariah, comes to him and he says, with 80 soldiers, men, and he says, get out of here because it is not for you to be offering sacrifices. It is for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who have been consecrated for this particular function. And Uzziah became very angry with him. 
And as he exploded in anger, God caused leprosy to break out on his forehead, and he rushed out of the temple, and that was the end of his reign. He was separated. Jotham, his son, took over, and he was at his home until his death. So this was symptomatic of what was going on in the nation of Israel. God had blessed Israel. And as Israel became strong, she grew proud to her destruction. And so in his death, Uzziah is raised. Chapter 1 tells us that he prophesied during the reign of Uzziah, Jotham's son, and there's Jotham here, King Jotham, <laughs> Ahaz, and Hezekiah. He, he prophesied during the reign of those particular kings as Israel was getting destroyed. And if you are interested in history, that would be 740 BC. A couple of years later, that will be the end of northern Israel, about 732 and 22. Well, first Syria destroyed, and then the northern Israel destroyed 722. And a couple of years later, hundreds of years later, 586 was the end of Jerusalem, and they were taken into exile. And Isaiah had this difficult ministry of telling them that this is it. You have hit a point of no return because of what you have done before the Lord. But yet, at the same time, as typical of prophets, there was a message of hope to say, if you will respond to me, Israel, Judah, the same way as Isaiah is about to respond to me, things are going to happen to you that will happen and you will see in the life of Isaiah. And so number one, the holiness of God. What is the holiness of God? It opens up by telling us that in the year that King Uzziah died, this guy says, I saw the Lord, and he says the Lord was on his throne, and he was high and lifted up. As he sees God, he sees God sitting on a throne. And to sit on the throne is not just to repose, uh, in a sense, in a passive way, but it speaks of reigning. In KZN, we are talking now about the king, Mrs. Zulu, uh, sitting. We, we, we are talking about him sitting, and there's a ceremony where he's going to sit on his throne. That speaks of coronation, and it speaks of this guy being invested with all the pomp and power and privileges of being a king. And so this guy says, I saw the Lord and the Lord was sitting on a throne. The Lord was reigning. The Lord was sovereign. The Lord was totally in charge. And he says he was high. He speaks about the very qualities of God in himself. He's high. But he's also lifted up, speaks of our acknowledgement, or the creatures acknowledging the highness of God. This guy says, I have never seen 
kingship like that in my life before. The Lord was high, he's large, (laughs) he's in charge. And God wants us to see him like that despite our circumstances. And he says, not only that, he says, the hem of his robe filled the temple. Some, some translations will say the train, but actually Middle Eastern kings this time didn't have trains. They only had robes. So this guy is literally saying the very hem of God's robe filled the entire temple. That is majesty. That is royalty. And in a sense, uh, when, when you meditate on this, you realize actually he didn't see a whole lot. <laughs> he, sees, he sees God on a throne and he says, I saw royalty and sovereignty and great power. He says, and I saw the hem, just the hem of his garments. It filled the entire temple. And he speaks as as one who's standing outside of the temple. Because he's about to tell us that the above him, and this is not above in authority or rank, because it says above him stood. God is, is sitting and reigning, but they are seraphim, the burning ones are standing above God, about to do whatever he's about to instruct them to do. They were standing. Each of them had six wings with two. He covered his face to not be able to see. He'll be incinerated by the brightness of God's holiness. And so he covers his eyes and he covers his feet and with two he is flying, and then I think we get a little bit more, because this guy says, he, he says, when this guy said what, the, what I'm about to tell you, that the angel said, he says, the foundations of the threshold shook. He's standing outside the temple, he's about to get in, and he says there was like a mighty earthquake, and there was a great shaking that was taking place. And he says, and the temple was filled with smoke. Couldn't see a thing. And he had one angel speaking to another saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. He saw the angels are able to define for us a little bit more precisely. This guy, all he has seen is, uh, is God sitting on a throne. He sees majesty and strength and great power. He sees royalty. And he says he is so majestic. He's served by burning ones. But the burning ones seem to have a clearer perspective. And, and they, are, they are describing what they are seeing more accurately. And they say... God is holy, holy, holy. Very unusual expression in, um, in Hebrew. Normally they will repeat something twice. Amen, amen, or verily, verily, I say to you, Jesus Christ would say. But to repeat something three times was unusual. And I think they are speaking about the totality of the holiness of God. God is holy to the third degree, to the third power. 
in totality. The word holiness speaks of two things. Number one, it speaks of the brightness of God. And then secondly, it speaks of the total uniqueness of God. He's totally other. His inability to be described by anything else. His total otherness. And the angels are saying, this is who he is in himself. And that's why I think we need to meditate on this word and meditate on this attribute of God. Because as we do, something of the holiness of God will rub onto ourselves as we begin to see him and to adore him and to worship him and say, God, you are totally transcendent, totally different, bright, you are valuable in yourself. You are high, you are lifted up, you are absolutely beautiful. You define beauty itself. But isn't it interesting that you would have expected the angels to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with this what? Holiness. That's what you would expect them to say. (laughs) But they say he's holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And that is because, and I was helped here by Alec Mortia, who says that there is a connection between these two things, the holiness of God and the glory of God. The holiness of God is God as he is in himself. Normally, it is hidden, can't see it. But when the holiness of God goes public, it is referred to as glory. It is the self-revelation of God. His holiness is his total uniqueness, and it's almost incomprehensible. Transcendence. But God reveals something of who he is. And And then we see who God is. When we see who God is and he reveals that to us, we refer it as his glory, as his brightness, as his shining forth. And John Piper is helpful here. He says, the glory of God is the beauty of his manifold perfections. And it is often spoken of in two ways. He says, number one, talks about the bright and awesome radiance of God that sometimes breaks forth into visible manifestations. But secondly, it speaks of the infinite moral excellence of God. That is what the glory of God is. It it is the holiness of God going public, God revealing himself to us. What then is a fitting response to that? If you were to experience not only the glory of God, but God in his glory revealing something of his moral excellence. What are you going to do? What is a fitting response? This guy's response, if Kyle was here, uh, who was teaching us yesterday about mental health, uh, he, he he would have recognized signs of mental health in this guy. In, 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 what he, in what he said, he was completely undone. When he sees the awesomeness of God, God 
This is a prophet. This is a holy man. He, he probably knew God more than all the other people in Israel. But he says, I've seen something of God that I have never, ever seen before. What does he say? Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isn't there an incredible contrast here? from the lesser to the greater. The king is, we, we see a king who's dying. And, and, and Isaiah says, even as this Uziah was dying, I saw the real king. My eyes have seen the true almighty God and I am completely undone. His being undone was was, was a reaction of his own uncleanness in the presence of a totally holy God. The holy, holiness of God in that sense is, you could speak of it as a force of total exclusion. If God was to reveal his holiness here, there will be nobody here left. <laughs> because the sin in us and moral uncleanness is, is going to react with the holiness of God and we are all going to be excluded unless God intervenes in another way. And so he was here, Isaiah saying, I am completely undone, I am unclean, woe is me. If you look at chapter one to chapter five, he has said eight woes to the nation of Israel himself. He says, woe to you Israel, you have done this and that. Woe to you, woe to you. Now he says, forget Israel and Judah. <laughs> woe is me. I am undone. I can't compare myself with other people. I must compare myself with the holiness of Almighty God. And that holiness of God is a great leveler. Everybody is excluded by that standard. But thank God, he's, he's not, his holiness does not only exclude, but there is something of the mercy and the grace of God. What strikes me here is that this guy, all he said was, whoa, I'm excluded, I'm undone, I'm finished. This is the end for me. And as he said that, we are told that in, a seraphim, a burning one came to him. But the burning one didn't come to burn him. He came with, with coals, with burning coals that he took from the altar with tongs. And without him asking anything, the angel touches his mouth and says to him, your guilt, this has touched him, your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. It was totally clean at that moment. Not because of anything that he has done, but because of the divine initiative. God has revealed his holiness to this guy. God sees, this guy, is, for the first time, he sees himself as he ought. And he says, my, my true worth is that I'm completely worthless, actually. He says, woe is me, for I am lost. 
For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of unclean lips. I have seen the Holy One. And, 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 and it is only at that point that God raises him. And his sins are atoned for because of the altar. That is what vitiates, as it were, the, the wrath and the anger of God, is what happens in that altar, the sacrifice. Penal substitutionary atonement, as we call it. The only reason why we are able to have this mercy and the grace of God poured to us is because God mercifully has sent his son to that altar so that through him and in faith, through faith in him, we may have access to almighty God. And he stood there completely clean. His sins atoned for, washed. And he didn't know what to say, so he then hears the voice of God speaking to him, or rather speaking, and he, he appropriates what God is saying to himself. God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then he says, I'm here, send me. And it is at that point that God turns him around and he gives him this very difficult uh, mission. God says, I want you to go to these people and say to them, keep on hearing but do not understand, keep on seeing, not perceiving, make the heart of these people dull and their ears heavy, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. The Bible ascribes this one and the God that Isaiah saw, it says, it, it, it really says Christ is that mighty God that Isaiah said, Matthew chapter 13, verse 13. And Paul says the same thing, Acts chapter 28, as he speaks to the Jews who had come to see him in prison, he preaches the gospel to them. Some believe, some doubt, and he says to these doubters, he says, I'm speaking to you about the Holy One that Isaiah saw. He says, and his prophecy is going to be fulfilled in your life. You will keep on hearing but not understanding, seeing but not perceiving. You yourself have made your hearts hard, lest you see with your eyes and hear with your ears and understand with your hearts and turn to God that he may heal you. Just want to conclude by saying, if we want to be commissioned of God, it, it has to really start with us seeing him as he truly is, his godness, his, his holiness. It starts with revelation. It starts with us seeing, as it were, the very face of God, Coram Deo. But you know that you have seen God when it leads you to repentance, as Greg was saying earlier, where you come to the place of saying, woe is me, I'm completely lost. Except that God does something about my situation, 
Nothing and no one can help me. When you come to that place, God sovereignly steps in. In fact, he's already stepped in. very fact that you see yourself <laughs> as you ought is because God has worked in your heart and has shown in your heart, as Paul says, he who in the beginning said, let there be light, has shown in our hearts to show us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This leads us to sanctification. It leads us to us dedicating our lives to serve the purposes of God, no matter how difficult it may be. This guy said, when God says, this is the commission I'm giving you, he says, well, it's going to be hard, maybe one or two years or three years, but after a few years, it's going to be cool. It's going to be right, revival, right? And God says, until the cities lie waste and homes without peoples, and the land is a desolate waste. But then, even in the midst of that judgment, God comes and he says, but it's going to be like an terebinth or an oak tree that's been felled, and it has a stump there. And he says, but the holy seed is its stump. Don't have to time to tell you, but Isaiah chapter 11 tells us that there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from the roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Jesus is that root. Even in the midst of devastation, if we will respond like Isaiah did, God will bring much fruitfulness in our lives. Amen.